The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. LinkedIn presents. Why open your computer in the morning? If it's making you anxious, there's some kind of value that's showing up. Why, why does it matter to you? Like the, the job, the role, what is important to you? Because that's also kind of like going to be what motivates you, right? To do what's very challenging and to, to take action. So it's, it's important that we, we tap into values as a way of motivating ourselves and also supporting ourselves to approach really, you know, what can be very challenging or overwhelming situations. I'm Maura Arons-Mealy, and this is The Anxious Achiever. We look at stories from business leaders who've dealt with anxiety, depression, or other mental health challenges, how they fell down, how they pick themselves up, and how they hope work will change in the future. My guest today, licensed clinical psychologist and author Dr. Carissa Gustafson says, Please know that whatever you may be struggling with, you are not broken. You are fundamentally, unconditionally whole and in possession of everything that's needed to build a meaningful life. So let's talk about how to take action. There are real steps that can take the sting out of anxious thoughts and unhook us from our anxiety. But first, you might need to accept that distressing feelings and thoughts are part of life. Enter Acceptance and Commitment Therapy, or ACT, which is different from a lot of other kinds of therapy because it says, accept your bad feelings, let yourself be uncomfortable. You are not your thoughts, which means you can have a negative thought and then take action so it doesn't trap you. Today, we'll learn some real tactical approaches to doing that. I started by asking Carissa Gustafson why she chose this work and why she herself was drawn to ACT. So kind of like in in my personal life and then also in my training as as a licensed clinical psychologist, I was noticing and I was noticing in the people that I work with that you just can't get rid of difficult feelings, right? Um, oh. <laughs> <laughs> so I hate to break that to, I guess, like some of the listeners, if that's what they um, came here looking for or hoping for. But no, like just as a part of the human condition, we have painful emotions and there's certain, you know, things that we can do. It's not like... Um, you know, that there's not ways that we can empower ourselves, but, but actually acceptance of that reality, I would say is one of the things that we can do to empower ourselves that just the acknowledgement that suffering is a part of life, part of the human condition, instead of fighting against that Mm -hmm. reality can actually really help liberate people or help people to get unstuck. Because uh, what I like to tell people is if you're fighting your experience, you're getting into a, a losing battle. Hmm. And and I want to say to listeners, before you like change the channel and think, oh, this is a huge bummer, <laughs> life, life is hard. It, it's actually not. Um, 
But what about you? Are you an anxious person? Has this been helpful to you personally? Yeah. So I love the the title anxious, um, anxious achiever, because I feel like that very much describes me personally and a lot of the people that I work with too. Mm. I want to talk today about acceptance versus avoidance. Mm-hmm. And I would like you to define both for me, define acceptance and define avoidance as you might when you're working with a patient. So I guess let's start with avoidance, right? So acceptance and commitment therapy, the approach that I use, or ACT for short, the premise is that there's a lot of things that we try to avoid, mostly our experience, right? So there's this mm. term called experiential avoidance, which basically means we as, as people can do a lot of different things to try to avoid what's going on with us emotionally in particular, So like anxiety is a great example. So people might do all kinds of things to try to avoid their anxiety, like Mm -hmm. distracting themselves, you know, with, with things like social media, for example, TikTok, all the way to substances like using uh, cannabis or marijuana or alcohol Mm -hmm. or any number of things are avoiding certain kinds of action, right? So not doing things that make you anxious. So in the case of somebody who has social anxiety, for example, not socializing, there's all kinds of ways that people can engage in avoidant behaviors. And the uh, whole idea of ACT is we want to shift people away from avoidant ways of coping and Mm -hmm. towards kind of approach or acceptance, you know, based coping because it it tends Mm -hmm. to be a lot healthier. So thinking about kind of some of those examples, you know, socializing, even if it makes you anxious. So that's a situation where you can't just get rid of the anxiety. It's going to show up. Um, but what I, what I tell people about that is like anxiety shows up when we care, (laughs) right? So if we, if we didn't care, it wouldn't make us anxious. And when you start to avoid the things that make you anxious, you're also avoiding things that you care about. Uh, Mm -hmm. again, in that example, you're, you're avoiding connection. And, and if you didn't care about connection, it probably wouldn't cause anxiety, but that's an example of kind of moving away from avoidance towards kind of an acceptance based Hmm. approach, accepting that anxiety is going to show up. Right. Or that, that you're going to get triggered, I guess too, right. You can't control for triggers. Exactly. Right. So that's a good way of putting it. Like this might also be kind of a, a new idea or for, for listeners, but in kind of like the act model, we don't necessarily control our thoughts. What I tell people is we can shift and shape. We can redirect our thinking a little bit, but we don't control our thoughts. And, and the same is, is very much true of our emotions. We, we don't control our feelings. They just kind of show up, but what we are in control of is, is how we respond to them. But if you were to just think of acceptance and commitment therapy or act as, kind of three different things, your thoughts, your feelings, and your behaviors, two of those things aren't Mm -hmm. totally within our control. So that's the acceptance Mm -hmm. piece. We kind of have to practice accepting our thoughts and our feelings, but we do control our behaviors. And that's why it's called ACT for short, because (laughs) they want to emphasize the importance of action. And that is where our empowerment lies. And so and this didn't, you know, this isn't something that I came up with. It actually was introduced to me by a client, but I love it action is the antidote to anxiety. So while we can't control getting triggered, for example, we don't have to let anxiety control us and and restrict our lives. We can take action. And that's really kind of what anxiety is probably trying to help us do. So 
anxiety is trying to help us do what? To take action. Anxiety shows up. And really what I like to say is that the emotion that's underlying anxiety is fear, um, mm-hmm. that there's some kind of threat and we're, you know, our mind or our body, it's trying to alert us to a potential threat. And anxiety, when it's, when it's kind of healthy, is helping us to plan or prepare. Mm-hmm. Right. So there's something, you know, that we're kind of assessing as a threat. And if we can plan or prepare, we can take action. And that's great. Right. So a a classic example is like studying for a test or preparing for a presentation. You might feel anxious about it because you care about it because you want to do well. You want to perform well. And that anxiety, so long as it's, you know, not at a super high level um, and it doesn't kind of get you paralyzed can help you to to be proactive and to plan and prepare and rehearse so that you are you know more likely to do a good job. Mm. But the the issue is like we can't always put our anxiety into action particularly if we're worried about something that's outside of our control and in that case that the action becomes acceptance. I want to use an an example of fusion, which mm-hmm. is a really interesting core part of act that I think the audience would benefit from mm-hmm. and you you say, you know, it's a key piece to getting unstuck. And you say, you are not your struggle. Mm-hmm. Dr. Russ Harris, who's like a, you know, writes a lot about ACT, gives the example of how when he was a new physician, he would his hands would shake because he was doubting himself so much. And he would hear in his mind, I'm a failure. I'm incompetent. I can't do this. Mm-hmm. He was fused with his thoughts. And he would replace those words with, I'm a banana. I'm a snowman, just ridiculous words to show that we are not our thoughts. And yet in fusion, we absorb those thoughts. Can can you explain that concept? Yeah. So a lot of people have that idea, right? That they're, they are their thoughts or sometimes people can also be fused with their emotions. And what's the difference between being fused with your thoughts versus being fused with your emotions? Yeah. Well, I guess the, the process of fusion is the same. It's, it's kind of just like being over identified with either mm-hmm. thoughts or feelings, right? So uh, the way that I would put it is instead of noticing those things, as either kind of mental events in the case of thoughts. And that's how I like to talk about thoughts is as a mental event, Hmm. our feelings as kind of uh, something that you're experiencing. And I I like to think of feelings as something that we experience physically in the body. Hmm. Sometimes people are just too closely identified with their thoughts or their feelings. And then they, they kind of don't have the, the distance or the separation to be able to observe those experiences either as like a, a mental event or a physical sensation. And when people are too close, I guess, to the, mm-hmm. those experiences and not able to observe them from something of a, a distance, mm-hmm. then they can kind of take control. So a really popular kind of act metaphor is about kind of like uh, driving a bus. And it's like, you're going through life, you're the bus driver, but sometimes we we pick up passengers along the way, like self-doubt, for example, <laughs> um, as you brought up with Russ Harris, that can tell us where to go if, if we're not mm-hmm. kind of being aware of the different passengers on our bus and where we want to go, right? Like we have the power to choose which direction we steer the bus. We don't have to listen to the passengers. So we don't have to listen to the <laughs> thoughts or the feelings that tell us, you know, 
uh, we're not good enough, are those feelings of inadequacy that might come along with that. Like we get to decide where we go. We can tell them to sit down and shut up. <laughs> kind, kind of. Um, but they like, you know, they they can be very unruly mm-hmm. and they might not listen. And unfortunately, we can't just, you know, pull over and kick them out. And so instead of telling them to shut up as, as maybe we wish we could, one of the things that I like to encourage people to do is actually to thank them. And this is kind of more along the lines of like a compassionate approach, but really Mm -hmm. like those kinds of passengers, even as they might be very obnoxious, they're trying to help us. They're not our enemy. Mm -hmm. You know, they're trying to keep us on track or going in the right direction. So we don't have to even like have kind of a adversarial relationship with them. We can actually say, thank you. I know that you're scared. I know that you're trying to help me, but I know where we need to head. Does that help us defuse from our anxious thoughts? It could, right? Like the diffusion kind of process and act is more just about the awareness, right? It's it's like a mindfulness skill mm-hmm. where you're noticing your thoughts as mental events without judgment. You're noticing your emotions, kind of riding the waves of your emotions without getting lost in the current and your able with that awareness to make a choice about Mm. moving towards the things that you care about, the things that you really value. Mm. Let's talk about values, Mm because values is a big piece of most therapeutic treatments, but especially in ACT. Why is it so important in the process of not being your thoughts and, and negative emotions to hook into your values? And how, how do you do that? Yeah, it's so important. And it's, it's interesting because I actually think it's missing from a lot of therapeutic approaches. So like more traditional hmm. cognitive mm-hmm. behavioral therapy, there's really no talk about a lot of what we're talking about today, actually about kind of like accepting, you know, thoughts and feelings and about values and doing what matters to you. But that's what matters most, right? So the goal of of therapy as I see it, or kind of, you know, consistent with the active approach is to help people have full, meaningful lives. And that's inseparable from kind of like what you actually care about. Yeah, It's why it has such a, a central role in, in ACT. Is it important, do you think, if you're an anxious person and, and, and say that you're in a in a very anxious place at work, you mm-hmm. know, even, even, even opening your computer in the morning or going to work makes you feel really anxious to, to have a sense of the values that keep you at the job or to define that. Yeah. And not even just that, but even kind of why is it important for you to show up? <laughs> right. <laughs> like <laughs> why open your computer in the morning? Mm-hmm. Again, if it's making you anxious, there's, there's some kind of, value that's showing up. Mm. Why, why does it matter to you? Like the, the job, the role, what is important to you? Because that's also kind of like going to be what motivates you, right? To do what's very challenging and to, to take action, right? Action, even though that's so important, it's not easy, especially mm. when you're feeling very anxious, right? So it's, it's important that we, we tap into values as a way of motivating ourselves and also supporting ourselves to approach really, you know, what can be very challenging or overwhelming situations. 
I want to lift up what you just said, because you connected the anxiety with the caring, with the tapping into values. Mm -hmm. And I had never thought about it that way before. But of course, what makes you anxious is what you care about. And it's Mm -hmm. ideally connected to your values. But at work sometimes, you know, I'm anxious because I don't want to meet with my boss who's mean, theoretically. Mm -hmm. And how does that tap into my values? Yeah, that's a good example, right? So, you know, it might just be kind of like inherently aversive mm-hmm. to meet with with your boss if if they're not the nicest person, right? So that's an excellent place to have compassion for yourself that this is a very difficult situation. And if I was working with a client, right, who was struggling with with that exact situation, we could mm-hmm. talk about um having compassion towards themselves like I just mentioned. And we could talk about like, well, are, are there other jobs out there for them? That's, you know, something that they could put into action. They could start looking for other jobs, but that might not be the case, right? Like that might be actually an example of avoidance. Mm-hmm. If they're just trying to avoid what's, you know, kind of an inherently aversive situation, but there might be other reasons that they value their, their work or the company that they're a part of, right? There's probably no one that can say that there isn't at least one individual that they really struggle with at work, whether it's their boss or somebody else. Mm -hmm. But there might be other reasons that are really important for them to stay on course. And and that's something that we could kind of highlight in therapy that yes, it's very difficult for you to deal with, with, you know, your supervisor or manager, you can have compassion for yourself, you know, for that experience. And knowing that these are the things that you value kind of empower you and recognize that you're making an active choice to stay, you know, in this role or at this company because you care. Mm-hmm. Because it is your values. So why mm-hmm. are we humans so good at avoiding things? I mean, <laughs> yeah. I, I think I think it runs along a spectrum, but I think in general, people are really good at avoiding things that make us uncomfortable. Yep, absolutely. Right. And even just thinking about it, you know, I don't know if, if we need to think about it like, necessarily kind of like from like an evolutionary perspective, but it helps us survive if we're talking about (laughs) avoiding external things, Mm -hmm. right? Like things that don't feel good to us, particularly externally and moving towards the things that do help us feel good. That helps us survive. Um, Why wouldn't we want to do that? And, And what I tell people is like, if you if you can avoid pain, by all means, do it. But there's kind of like a major caveat to that, which is that, you know, like in the situations that we're talking about, you want to make sure that you're not simultaneously avoiding something that you really care about. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you're just kind of limiting, restricting, narrowing your life, and you're probably not going to be very happy as a result. Yeah. And and where people get really tripped up is that they try to apply that kind of like problem-solving strategy to internal events, right? Like avoiding painful emotions. Mm -hmm. And that is just not going to be an effective strategy. You say that ignoring your emotions is like ignoring the check engine light. Exactly. Um, (laughs) But a lot, but the truth is a lot of us drive around with that light on for months. I mean, it's true, right? (laughs) And that's kind of human nature as well. You know, so a lot of people when they're coming to therapy, it's, it's not like, you know, I, oh, I started noticing that I was struggling with something the other day. So here I am. Right. It's, it's oftentimes, you know, months, if not even longer than that. For some people, it's years that they've been struggling with something and they kind of get to that point where they're tired of being stuck 
And a lot of times what keeps them stuck is exactly what we're talking about, kind of avoiding their emotions. And it could be anxiety. It could also be, you know, any other emotion like anger even is another mm-hmm. one that people really struggle with. They say like, oh, I don't want to feel this way. And and I really encourage people to think of all of their emotions as trying to signal something to them. So just like that metaphor of the dashboard, It's Mm -hmm. like those lights are coming on for a reason. And this kind of gets at that process of diffusion that you mentioned earlier. If we can relate to our emotions in that way, that there's just, Mm -hmm. you know, something going off, something that lit up and it, it indicates that there's some kind of a need that can allow us to take effective or appropriate action as opposed to doing what a lot of people do, which is getting stuck in judging themselves for Mm -hmm. feeling this way, right? So you could probably easily see where somebody might just judge themselves for feeling anxious in a certain situation, as opposed to asking, okay, what does this indicate about what I need? Is there something that I can do here, like planning or preparing, or do I need to practice acceptance? The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing, new currencies come and go, decades of savings lost in days, all showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life, a promise that pays off. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by HubSpot. More to-dos, less time, and so many tools to keep track of. Doing business can be hard, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You just need HubSpot. Their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this. Higher quality leads, fast closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark breaking quarters. It's not a miracle. It's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today. It seems to me that a lot of us may not even understand something's making us anxious or something's making us angry. Mm -hmm. How do you even begin, before I schedule an appointment with you maybe, to mine that check engine light and start noticing? Yeah. Well, it could be different things for different people, right? So like for some people, they might notice that they're, they're more irritable with a spouse or partner or um, that their sleep is disrupted. Or sometimes people, especially with anxiety, Mm -hmm. experience a lot of physical symptoms. Maybe they're having full-blown panic attacks. Those are all, you know, indications, right? That your, your check engine light is, is on, that something, something is not working, that you're experiencing some kind of distress. Can we talk through, I know that it's hard to do in just a short amount of time, but someone who's ready to stop avoiding. Mm -hmm. I I think that I realized myself that I had been avoiding a confrontation at work, or frankly, I just was avoiding something that made me feel uncomfortable. And a lot of it was Mm -hmm. in my head. And then one day I just thought, this is ridiculous, which is kind of a judging statement. (laughs) I was judging myself. Yeah. Where do you start? Yeah, that's a really great example, right? Because conflict is one of the big things that people avoid. Mm-hmm. And, you know, maybe sometimes we can get away with that, but um, other times that tends to actually escalate things. So another one of the things that I share often with clients is that avoidance tends to heighten and maintain anxiety. Mm-hmm. And so if you're noticing that, again, this this kind of like check 
engine light keeps coming on, it's not going away. You notice that you're feeling anxious every time that you're interacting with a certain individual at work, or um, like you said before, maybe a, a supervisor or manager. You might challenge yourself, and it is challenging to say, okay, this keeps showing up. What can I do about it? Right. Mm. What, how can I take action here? What does effective or appropriate action look like in this situation? Is there a way that I can challenge myself to have a conversation with this individual, share, you know, something about my experience, how I'm feeling, or maybe what I, what I need from them? How can I approach this situation? And just mm. maybe starting with that question, right? After, after you're able to recognize that you've been avoiding it in the first place. And in the ACT model, would I do exposure therapy? Like, would I put myself in a non-avoidant situation right away? Or would that, how would that unfurl? So ACT in its entirety is is kind of like an exposure-based approach, right? Mm-hmm. So as we've been talking, we've been talking about accepting, you know, the difficult emotions. And so, yes, it would be about challenging yourself to open up to the discomfort that might arise when you're having a difficult conversation with somebody, for example, in service of some kind of value, right? Mm -hmm. So if it's in the context of work, it might be about doing well on a a certain project or something along those lines, right? Like there's probably some kind of value at play. And then yes, Mm -hmm. yeah, opening up to those difficult emotions. That's a really important part of the process as opposed to just continuing to avoid them which like I said, just kind of maintains and heightens anxiety. You want to, you know, translate that avoidance into action somehow. And that does require an exposure to, to some kind of, you know, difficult emotion. I'm going to ask you a very specific question about email. Mm-hmm. I have a theory that a lot of us avoid email that mm-hmm. makes us uncomfortable or we don't want to deal with, or for, for whatever reason, makes us angry, makes us compare ourselves. We avoid email. And then Mm -hmm. we get to a place where our inbox is so full. How do you recommend we think about breaking the cycle of email avoidance? Yep. So it's always going to be the same process, right? Which is that you start with just that recognition that like, Hey, I'm avoiding my, my emails and then identification. So what is it that I'm avoiding? Because it's not the email. That's the kind of like stimulus in a way, mm-hmm. but there's something that the email is triggering, right? Some kind of an emotion. So I had a client actually that literally in sessions, we would open up their email inbox and draft emails or send emails because <laughs> it was so aversive to them. And at least like mm-hmm. in, in, in this case for this individual, what was showing up was a lot of self criticism. They, they would obsess, you know, about writing the perfect email and, and, you know, maybe some emails are better than others. And of course we want to be appropriate and professional and everything like that, but there really is no perfect email and, you know, emails just kind of need to get sent um, Mm -hmm. more than to be perfect in a lot of situations. So recognizing one that you're avoiding and two, what are you avoiding? Because it's not the email itself. It's some kind of emotion or -hmm. some kind of thought, right? Like, the perfectionism, our feelings of inadequacy, or just the anxiety, like say if you missed a deadline or you need to ask for an extension or something like that. And then you can challenge yourself to approach it, right? So um, because I care about doing well in this class or doing well at work, 
how can I challenge myself to open up my inbox, write a, you know, sufficient email (laughs) and get this sent because that's when you're probably going to experience the relief and maybe not like not necessarily, but again, I think that's a really good example of how avoidance just kind of heightens and maintains anxiety. Cause if you're just letting your inbox pile up and you're not addressing things, you're probably just going to continue to feel anxious about it. Whereas if you are able to shift from avoidance into action and you're getting, you know, emails answered and sent off, you're probably going to notice that that distress decreases. Yes, I think so. Yep. What makes the difference between your patients who sort of manage to successfully defuse from those automatic anxious thoughts and, and carry forward? Is there a level of commitment that we need to bring to show up to treatment? Sure. I mean, I think, I think that motivation right? Which can be strongly linked to values is important. I think commitment is really important, right? Hence the name acceptance and commitment therapy. What kind of, you know, commitments are you going to make? And really, if if I were to summarize, act very succinctly, it's acceptance, you know, of the, of the things that you can't change and then committing to the things that you can. But I think the biggest barrier from making that transition from avoidance into action is resistance. And that could be, you know, exactly what you're describing, fusion with thoughts or feelings. If people have trouble kind of recognizing that those are just experiences, whether they're mental events or in in terms of emotions, physical sensations that are showing up, even if they're really intense, that those are just temporary experiences and we don't need to fight them or judge them that we can practice a willingness to allow Mm. for our experiences, even if they're very painful or even if they're very intense and still find a way to make commitments consistent with our values. That that's probably like the most important thing. Again, it's the opposite of willingness. If, If people are resistant to experiencing, then, you know, life is going to, to be very small. To close out, there is a there is a distress tolerance technique in ACT that I personally found very helpful, and it's called expansion, I think, where you have to sit with a bad thought and let it unravel in your body. And I'm curious if you would talk us through either expansion or another technique that you use to help patients accept uncomfortable thoughts and feelings. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When I think of like distress tolerance in particular, I think a little bit more in terms of like dialectical behavioral therapy, but that, Mm -hmm. that also is kind of a third wave cognitive behavioral therapy, which uses a lot of mindfulness techniques. Mm -hmm. So when I think about allowing kind of like our emotions or our thoughts, I really think of, of mindfulness and compassion exercises. So that's something that I integrate into therapy a good deal. And helping people not just talk about these concepts, but experience them just like you're describing. So inviting in a difficult emotion or bringing to mind a distressing thought so that we can learn to sit and be present and observe it without getting hooked by it Mm. and and noticing actually that our our thoughts and feelings are pretty transient. Mm -hmm. And so literally... 
letting the thought come in. Mm -hmm. And do you, do you see the thought in your mind? Do you feel it in your body? Like, how do you experience it? Yeah, it could be both, right? So it could be just recognizing the thought and there's certain kinds of visualizations that people do like clouds in the sky or leaves on the stream that can be helpful to kind of just notice the thought and let it pass. Our, our metaphor I really like um, is about kind of like being at a subway station where you're on the platform and your thoughts are like the trains coming in and there can be the, I'm not good enough train that pulls into the station or some other kind of train. And you get to decide whether you hop on and go for a ride or not. And sometimes maybe we accidentally kind of like mindlessly step into a train and we get pulled pulled away, but we can, you know, make a decision to get off at the next stop. Mm. But it could be using visualizations. It could be just kind of noticing and naming emotions mm -hmm. that are showing up like, like anger or anxiety. Uh, it could be recognizing and allowing the physical sensations to show up in the body and, and being present with those as opposed to trying to, to numb or distract or avoid in some way. But just like you said, learning to sit and be present with awareness and compassion towards ourselves for what we're experiencing, particularly if what we're experiencing is distressing. Yeah. And I, and I will say, you know, it's something I, I recently sort of practiced during a really dark time, and it was one of the hardest things I've ever done. I literally sat through a wave of panic anxiety and mm -hmm. It was so hard. I wanted to take, <laughs> I wanted to take a an anti-anxiety medication so badly, but mm -hmm. I really felt like muscles were growing. It was incredible. Yeah, absolutely, and, and that's a wonderful example, right? And and it sounds very challenging, right? It, it sounds mm -hmm. like that was not easy what you did, and yet I hear that there was a willingness on mm -hmm. your part to to do exactly that and to be present with those uncomfortable or even overwhelming sensations of anxiety or panic. And that's exactly what I would encourage, like somebody, for example, who, who has panic attacks to do mm. is to diffuse from the physical sensations that are showing up and to not, you know, if, if we're going to use a more traditional like CBT term, catastrophize them because that mm -hmm. tends to heighten people's anxiety, but it's really the avoidance of those physical sensations that can lead to like a full-blown panic attack. Whereas if you're able to practice that skill that you just described, where you're sitting with the feelings, you're, you know, mindfully or in a diffused way, kind of just noticing or naming them, not getting hooked on, on thoughts like, oh, well, now I'm going to have a panic attack or I must be losing my mind, but just opening up to the distress with this kind of like stance of, of willingness, acceptance, and I would, I would add hopefully compassion too, because it's very difficult. Mm. It kind of takes some of the power out of those experiences. Yeah, it really does. It really unhooks. It's such a great metaphor. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Carissa Gustafson. I really appreciate it. Yeah, of course. Yeah, it was lovely speaking with you. That's it for today's show. The Anxious Achiever is produced and edited by Mary Dew. Our assistant producer and sound engineer is Nick Krinko. Many thanks to all our guests for sharing their stories with us. And thank you to our advertisers for supporting. If you want to share your story about mental health and work, 
send me a message on LinkedIn. I'll always respond. If you love the show, tell your friends, subscribe or follow us and leave a review. From LinkedIn Presents, this is Maura Aaron's Mealing.